1: Dante's debut, a smashing success, a quarterback controversy at USC, memories of Sam Bam Cunningham, was last Saturday a recruiting win for the Trojans, previewing the Oregon State game, and predicting this week's Pac-12 conference SC, game. We are SC, we are Hi everybody, my name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Inside the Trojans Huddle, week number four. Inside the Trojans Huddle is a game-like panel discussion with We RSC columnists and staff writers. It's time for the pregame show. That's when we introduce our panelists for this week. So without any further ado, let's meet them. Kevin Bruce, former all-conference USC linebacker and team captain for the 1975 Trojans, a We RSC columnist who writes the postgame review defensively and offensively speaking. Scott Schrader, ERSC <laughs> Senior Recruiting Director, who has 19 years of experience of covering the Trojans as both a reporter and a USC recruiting authority. Eric McKenney, <laughs> publisher and editor in chief of we And I'm Greg Katz, columnist of the obvious and not so obvious in IMHO Sunday. <laughs> so here we go. The first quarter Washington state review guys, your thoughts on the Washington state comeback and Dante Williams debut. Let's start it off with Scott Schrader.
2: Well, yeah, I I was just telling you guys when we first got on here that uh, I, I missed most of the first half. Uh, I caught up last night and and watched that, but you know, my first take was it's going to be hard to put what came out of the genie's bottle back. And, you know, we watched a quarterback kind of take over that football team in, in 60 minutes or maybe a little less than 60 minutes. Um, just impressive to to see the poise and the leadership and, and then the ability to throw the football for decision making from Jackson Dart. So, you know, I, I was looking at that thinking this is his first college football game he's ever played. And he just set records, three hundred and ninety some yards uh, you could tell that the the guys on offense and defense were feeling the vibe, and you know, again, this is uh, it was an impressive performance, and it's going to be interesting to see where uh, Dante Williams goes
3: with that quarterback position.
1: All right, El Capitan, number fifty, Kevin Bruce, what'd you think?
3: Well, you know, it was uh, it was fascinating, actually, you know, and and clearly. The way the game started was fourteen nothing, and about to go to twenty-one uh, nothing, uh, and clearly going in the wrong direction. And the team looked frankly horrible uh, on both sides of the ball. No uh, appreciable offensive line blocking uh, defense was getting shredded by a Washington State team, which no one's going to confuse with a top twenty or twenty-five. Uh, Team uh, in in uh, in the country, uh, but we're playing well, and all of a sudden, you know, something happened, and that and that something was uh, Jackson Dart, no question, and had an impact on both sides of of, of the line of scrimmage. Which, uh, when someone casts a shadow that long, that's really impressive. And to Scott's point, you know, and I'm not sure I want to put the genie back in the bottle. It, it, you know, having options at all positions is a good thing, and going with those that are going to be able to make the uh, the key plays and uh, break things open uh, is uh, is special. So we'll see what uh, Dante Williams. Who congratulations to him for winning his uh, his first game and having a quarterback controversy within all <laughs> all within one day. You know, God bless him. Uh, but it, you know, it's it's a good problem to have. Ironically, the the team, and I'll, I'll move on here. But the team just did a a, a turn one eight, which was incredible. Uh, going from very timid, tenuous football playing to very aggressive, uh, meaningful, and we know what we're doing football. I mean. Uh, I got to tell you, that this is a game that is uh, hard to predict, college football, much more so than the professional game.
1: Well, before we move on to Eric, I do want to comment on your background. It's very stunning for those of the people that recognize some of those uh, numbers and names. We do want to point out that number 50 is our own beloved Kevin Bruce in the back there. And we can also uh, see uh, three-time All-American, number 83, Richard Wood. It was nice to see that you brought Richard to the um, inside the Trojans huddle. So thank you very much. And speaking of thank you very much, we have uh, uh, Eric McKenney, the editor-in-chief of VRSC, who was in Pullman, Washington. Your thoughts, uh, editor?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna stay away from Jackson Dart now because I I'm cheating and peeking ahead at, at where we're going next, Greg, and, and we'll we'll get into that. But I, I want to give a ton of credit to Dante Williams. I mean, this team, I, I was surprised at how flat they came out and, and how bad it did look early. I, I thought they'd get that spark before the game, but for him to be able to kind of stay not not that he was ever calm during that game I mean that, there was energy <laughs> from him constantly but for him to be able to sort of stay in it and, and get his team to turn around and and yes it's Washington State and yes they had to go eventually after halftime to a backup quarterback but that thing looked like it was going off the rails in a big way and USC kind of had every reason you know to, to pack it in you're playing with a true freshman quarterback you're on the road you know what happened last week at at, against Stanford for them to be able to gather themselves and then pour it on in that way. You know, I, you know, it's always the, the game that's always going to get thrown out as the game that looks like it's going bad and then flips the other direction. Kevin, you were involved in that one back back then with Notre Dame. I'm not going to compare this to that by any means, but I can't remember a game for USC recently where it looked like it was going to go so badly, USC was able to catch itself and flip it the other way and just run away with it. Uh, there were some sparks in there that USC desperately needed. And yep. so I, I think ultimately, no matter the circumstances, whatever it was, the fact that USC could, could catch itself and then deliver that performance, really offense, defense, special, special teams uh, throughout the rest of the game, I, I, I'm still saying that that was an impressive showing for USC. Yep. I
3: agree.
1: So, Kevin, you agree with that?
3: I do agree with that, and uh, I, and I actually likened it a little bit to that um, Notre Dame game. Maybe not quite on the same as big a stage, and 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 related, but nonetheless, and to to Eric's point, flipping that thing around uh, in in that manner was uh, uh, impressive. Does make you wonder what 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 have that had looked like against a team like Stanford, which you know is going to play a much more um, robust and quality-controlled game than a Washington State. I just – I wonder what that would have looked like, you know, because um, we know how uh, how that turned out. However, the defense uh, against Stanford was woeful. So,
1: Well, I'm going to take a look at this game, and after all the excitement has kind of faded in my brain, uh, kind of look at it objectively from my point of view, it was Washington State after all. It was Washington State losing its quarterback uh, late in the first Mm -hmm. half. Uh, You know, they were really, their backup, uh, I mean, let's face it, USC brings in a Gatorade player of the year and Washington State brings in a walk-on. So that being said, they were pretty much uh, uh, lost in the Palouse country there themselves. But what I thought was, is at halftime, I I think halftime adjustments are way overrated because you have such little time really to do much of everything, It's more of an inspirational thing with a few adjustments here or there. I mean, I think I've said this before. You practice two hours a day, Monday through Thursday, trying to get someone to learn something. And you expect that in 15 minutes they're going to learn it under under duress. It's not going to happen. But what did happen was apparently the speech that um, the interim head coach delivered was quite salty, was quite in your face. And I said to myself, what would that speech have been like if Clay Helton had delivered it? Even if the, the same words were said, would the impact be the same? It's like, it's like two comedians telling the same joke. One, you laugh. The other one, you just kind of go, oh, whatever. But I thought that um, the emotional change of this team, and I just blotted out who they were playing, should alert everyone that so much of it is between your ears. And I think that they started believing in Dante as opposed to maybe the first quarter when they were believing like, is this all really happening? And uh, uh, Jackson Dart, who we'll get to in a second here, was just the icing on the cake. But, uh, you know, I'm not one to have hyperbole, but I do believe that if Dante Williams can really lead this team all the way through 10 games or whatever he's doing, and, uh, and they play – it reminds me of that perhaps we're going to get into a situation like Ed Ocheron was, and the question is, is uh, depending on the candidates, of course, what will that do for uh, the outlook on how uh, Mike Bone is going to look at it? I'm under no pretense that Mike Bone isn't going to go out and try to get the best possible coach he can find. But I do think that if Dante Williams continues what he's doing – Uh, And, again, we'll find out against Oregon State and, you know, some of the other teams down the line. And maybe Notre Dame would be the key there uh, and BYU at the end of the season, the way it's looking. uh, You know, Dante Williams could get in the conversation, uh, and I wouldn't feel bad about it. Uh, You know, I just want the best guy that's going to do the right thing. So we'll see. So that ends the first quarter. Oh, I love that bell. All right, we're going into the second quarter, and this is going to transition – into does USC really have a quarterback controversy? Uh, let's start off with Eric. Is there a controversy, Eric, or is this a done deal?
0: You know, controversy means you're you know you've made the wrong call and, and now you you know you're you're going back and forth. But a, a quarterback battle, a quarterback competition, I, I think absolutely. I, I you saw watching the sideline, Jackson Dart, his first play, he takes off and runs for 18 yards that sideline lit up these guys it's not so much that they want to play for Jackson over Keaton Slovis when I say what Jackson Dart does to the team and, and to players that's not a direct comparison to to Keaton but some players have that that magnetism and and we saw five minutes after Jackson Dart stepped on campus back in the spring it was easy to see this is a future team captain this is a guy who, who knows how to rally guys he just has that that magnetism. And so, no, I, I don't think that you can just put him back on the bench and have him sit there for 60 minutes uh, every game. I, I thought it was interesting. I, I did have a feeling late in the week that, Hey, we might see him no matter what against Washington state. And, and Dante Williams said, yeah, we had packages for him in certain situations. So he was already going to come in and, and start taking snaps here in week three, that, to me that is as much of a signal as anything of we're comfortable playing two quarterbacks and, and seeing how that goes I you know and, and then I don't know if you can just ship Keaton back to the bench I mean it, it is one of those things where if you give it to to Dart that's making a a pretty significant statement of moving on from Keaton and again if Keaton is back to full health and and ready to go uh that there's the the small sense on jackson dart where okay now that there's film of him now that teams can prepare for him what happens there you kind of know what you're getting with keaton and and that's kind of the more you know stable option i guess at this point but boy knowing jackson can come in off the bench and that spark that he's going to give not not only to the team but the first time again if we're seeing this play out keaton slovis starts against oregon state that first time Jackson Dart comes in off the sideline, that that Coliseum crowd is is going to light up. I mean, absolutely light up. And, and that's kind of what he's set up at this point. So uh, I, I am glad that Dante Williams has two quarterbacks he can go to now. I do not envy the choice on how to figure that out and, and how to move this thing forward, because it is it has gotten very interesting uh, it, it, very quickly.
1: Well, Scott, I think you mentioned it that you were impressed with Dart. Could you just kind of give us a, a little bit more uh, perspective on on how you felt about it and what you see? Do you think that uh, that Keaton has lost his job? Do you think that uh, Jackson is let's do it right now because we know next year he's the starter? What do you think?
2: Well, I mean, I think you have a situation here with, with Dante Williams, who who is he has this this opportunity as you alluded to, to where you think he could become the head coach if they went out, and 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 good things happen here record-wise and at the end of the season, winning the Pac-12 and going on and uh, to whatever bowl game they would go to as a result. But he has one chance. So if, if he is going to play the quarterback, he feels – I mean, this is a situation where we're finally not wondering if the best players are going to play. There is absolutely zero doubt the best players are going to play. In my opinion, Jackson Dart is the best player on that football team offensively. Um, And on top of that, he brings an element to the football team that was not present before he came into the game to the same level. Anyways, the guys on the football team all feel like they know Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart communicates with them. He spends time with them. So here you have a guy who they already feel like a true freshman is is almost like a, a leader of that football team. He's impacting the offensive players. He's impacting the defensive players. You have a guy where I think we even saw a little bit more of the ball is probably going to be distributed to more players as a result of maybe even just his relationships with some of these football players. So I do know this. The feedback to me was Jackson Dart is, is, is he, it, the players can't explain it. It's just he's different and there's a different way that they respond to him versus the way they respond to Keaton Slovis. So, you know, in my opinion, you have a quarterback who's more talented. You have a quarterback who's making better decisions, and you have a quarterback that has this football team, you know, ready to ride his back. So I don't know about the controversy. I, I think you have a situation where the best the best football player is going to be quarterback in this team. And I think that quarterback is Jackson Dark.
1: All right, Kevin. When you played at USC, you had Mike Ray in 72 and Pat Hayden waiting in the wings. So you have some experience of what that's like when you have talented quarterbacks now i'm not going to say that mike ray uh should have been supplanted by pat hayden i'm not saying that because i thought mike ray was a no. tremendous quarterback probably underrated in the yeah. annals of usc history but what what's your take on controversy put a different mm. word on it what do you think
3: no i, I think controversy works i mean ultimately uh the head coach dante williams is going to have to make a call on the starting quarterback And no matter what decision he makes, some will uh, say it's right and some will say it's wrong. What we saw against Washington State was uh, incredible, frankly. But I'm also reminded what we saw from Keaton Slovis two years ago was incredible. And I'm not gonna pull from him his resume as well. Uh, He's a good quarterback. What we've seen over the last couple of season or season and a half or whatever you want to call last year and so far this year is a quarterback that is uh, really designed dialed into not making mistakes. Uh, and as a result, I think he's more hesitant on making decisions, holds the ball a little bit, fraction of a second, quarter of a second, half a second, maybe a little bit longer. He's not going to beat you with his, uh, his legs. He can have some escapability, he being Keaton Slobis, but unlike uh, Jackson Dart, unless his knee is banged up worse than what it looked like because he was limping pretty pretty profoundly. Um, Keaton is not gonna make a lot of first downs on the ground, though he has broken out of the pocket once or twice over the last, uh, well, last two games before, before Washington State. He didn't get a chance to there. So that said, um, you know, I don't think it is it is as clear cut yet as to the, um, what decision Dante's gonna have to make. And I really truly, truly believe that he will make the decision based on what he sees this week in practice. And uh, because the film will tell you what it tells you uh, that, look, he made a lot of freshman mistakes too, his three turnovers, um, you know, shades of Sam Darnold, right? Um, and I know we just kind of shake off the one interception because it was down on the goal line. Well, wait, wait a minute, it was an interception and it was down by the goal line. All right, it did work out to our advantage. It doesn't always work out that way, right? So we, we just have to understand that you, with the freshman, you get freshman mistakes with the guy that's, you know, used to being very successful uh, with the competition that he was playing against. And he's going to force the ball. Slowest did the same thing early on in his career. Exact same thing. He would force the ball. Uh, and he and he paid the price for it. Now he doesn't throw it late over the middle. He, he avoids mistakes, uh, uh, you know, routinely. Unfortunately, what it does is it dial, dial, dials down the the offensive of effectiveness, and that's showing in in the lack of results. The intangibles that that we've talked about. I, I don't know if Jackson Dart has got the ear of all the players on the team. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not heard that nor why should I you know who's going to talk to some old guy about you know Jackson Dart on, on the team and, and what his uh, relation, relationship with his teammates is I'm sure it's very good you win a football game he gets really good frankly but also there's folks that understand that Keaton Slovis has done a lot of good things for the university as well but it's about now not about two years ago, it's not about last year's season. It's about this right now, this season, and it's about coming off a Stanford game that was abysmal uh, and then coming off a Washington State game that showed a, a significant turnaround and a player that brings something really special to the field. So Dante's got a tough choice to make and he's gonna make a decision. What I don't wanna see is a two quarterback system. I have never seen that work successfully ever. I can't think of one of them. I'm sure there's probably some example. I Not at USC's history that, it, that, that I can think of. That doesn't work. You, there's a leader. And today's game is really predicated on the quarterback on both sides of the line of scrimmage. So you have to go with somebody and, and make a decision and go with them.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, that uh, kind of transitions uh, to me to wrap this part up. Uh, just a historical point of fact, in 1962, USC did have two quarterbacks the main one, of course, was Pete Bethard, but Bill Nelson was also uh, saw a significant time, and they went on to win the national title. That being said, uh, the one thing that both Keaton Slovis and uh, Jackson Dart have in common is they have to line up uh, with an offensive line that really is, uh, I don't know if I can come up with a real positive comment at this point on it, uh, but I know that Jackson Dart is the one who will get the, best opportunity to escape getting his head knocked off which is not uh, keaton slobus's uh, uh, a rip on him it's just the fact uh, the effect that uh, jackson dart has on his team it's been my experience when i coach is that a team can go out and and they can want to win uh, for a quarterback that they you know they figured okay he's our quarterback i i don't have any personal animosity toward him but when you have a Jackson dart, it's almost like they're waiting, waiting to get him to come in. And when he comes in, that excitement level is all right. Now we, now we can do something. And I would hate to see that be the case with, with at USC. But when I look at it uh, objectively, you have the 2020 all pack 12 quarterback. You have a guy that wants to come out after this year and go to the NFL. Uh, all of a sudden, if he gets benched, what do his parents say? What do what do recruiters say in the future about, look, at you can go there and you can be, look what they did. The guy was in the middle of, you know, working on his NFL uh, uh, resume and they just benched him and they cost him uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's there's more that goes into it. Although I thought all your points were justified. Um, you know, I think the best quarterback that can lead them now should. I'm fascinated with the prospect of what, what uh, Dante Williams must be talking with. Graham Harrell, because we all know that Graham certainly has a mind of his own. Uh, And I think that Dante Williams really has a mind of his own. And so uh, it's going to get interesting. And one of the big questions is, uh, which I think is rhetorical, I mean, who's the head coach? That's where the buck stops. It stops with the guy. Whether it's interim or not, it stops with Dante Williams. But uh, that being said, uh, I want to go, I'm going to cut some of what I just said. I want to hear right now, I'm going to put you guys on the spot. We'll start with Eric. Who starts on
0: Saturday? I mean that. do out. Just come Again, out. With I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Keaton Slovis is, is like Dante Williams said. Back to full health right now on Monday. Can have the the whole week. I I would. I guess Keaton Slovis. Uh, but boy, I, I am not. I am not confident in that. I I totally agree with with what Scott said. I don't think Dante Williams is afraid at all to say, I, I like what a true freshman is doing and, and we're gonna go with him. And, and Greg, to your kind of recruiting point, I feel like if, if another coach wants to say, hey, USC is gonna play true freshmen, Dante Williams will say, absolutely, come, come here. If you're better, you're gonna play. We're, we're gonna play guys that, that we feel like can help us. Uh, and, and so I, I think playing Jackson Dart maybe helps you a little bit um, on the recruiting trail.
1: All right, Scott, I think we kind of know what you want, but I want it on the record. Who starts on Saturday?
2: Jackson Dart. I mean, if the best quarterback starts, I'm, going, I'm rolling with Jackson Dart.
1: Very good. Captain?
3: Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm, uh, I, I, I've got a question. How banged up is Jackson Dart's knee?
2: That's a very
0: and, fair question,
3: too. <laughs> and, and if he's banged up, and he doesn't have full mobility, then it makes the decision a little bit easier to go with Keaton Slovis. I still think if I'm a head coach and I um, uh, have a pretty interesting and difficult decision to make with regards to starting quarterback, um, I, I lean strongly into Keaton Slovis as a starting quarterback because I know what I, what I get there. Um, it doesn't preclude uh, Jackson dark from a plane and B starting at a later date. Uh, but the, one of the benefits of having a team like Oregon state coming in to play is that it, it it's Keaton Slobis uh, opportunity to show that he still has the, um, uh, ability to put points on the board and, um, because you know no one's going to confuse Oregon State with you know again another top 25 team though they they bring a better football team in than uh, Washington State for sure. So anyway, blah yes, blah blah. Add all that with no Keaton <laughs> Slovis, Keen Slovis, but um, I want to know how what the injury status is of Jackson Dart, and I, right. it's unknowable right now.
1: All right. Well, you've all given fairly decent points of view, I think.
3: Well, I think they're brilliant, I, but that's your your well I, I was I was
1: gonna say brilliant, <laughs> but then you would have you would have said top back. fifth. Okay. What I my feeling is Injured. if Steven Slovis is is healthy, uh I think he has a short leash, very short. He uh if he's healthy, I thought Kevin brought up a good point. They don't know about the knee with uh dart. We'll say that he's more healthy than he's not. Um, will I be shocked if Darts? No. Uh, but I will say this, that if, if slow starts, and I think if I was coaching, as much as I would be really uh, think that he should start, uh, uh, I, I, I think that uh, I would go with Slovis out of respect, and I would not say, uh, have any hesitation whatsoever bringing in the other guy in the second or third series. And uh, from there on out, if it, it, it darts the guy, then darts the guy. And this, we're, we're not even having this conversation. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Um, uh, I think the team will want to know what happens. It, you know, the thing that fascinated me actually was that uh, when they chose captains this year, that Keith Slovis was not one of the four captains uh that always kind of i don't want to use the word bothered me but I, I always wondered how a guy goes from being a captain in 2020 to not being a captain in 2021 what was this decision making of the team and i'm sure that if you off the record ask team uh team players there they probably might tell you but there was a message there so we'll we'll see so let's end the first half and now we're going into halftime uh where we try to give a uh question that's a little bit uh, more uh, introspective. And I waited to have this question from last week uh, because of the Helton situation, and Kevin wasn't with us as a panel person, but Your memories, thoughts on the passing of the late great Sam Bam Cunningham, Kevin. You you played with him. You know what he's all about. You had to block him on occasion uh, during uh, you know practices. Uh, why don't you lead us off with your overall assessment? You're, he was your teammate, and maybe you have a story or two you'd like to relate to our to our audience.
3: Yeah, and certainly. Look, um, first of all, I I knew of of Sam before I knew him personally. Uh, when I was uh, a, a young in, in high school, uh, he was two years ahead of me. And uh, I was uh, amazed that he, he was a guy that was a um, uh, pentathlete, really. Uh, and um, also one of the leading shot putters in Southern California and the state of California, for that matter. Competing against guys that outmassed him by 50 to 60 pounds, right? But he had the that uh, ability of strength and quick twitch to really, you know, put it a shot that was uh, competitive with the, with the big, big guys. Um, and he also was in the rest of the track and field that he participated in, and he was extraordinarily competitive. That included the 100 and the 200, and, you know, that big gentleman running in uh, the 200, uh, Come in around that uh, that curve, uh, man. If you were standing close to the uh, to the uh, track curb, he probably uh, his, his wake would probably pull you into the field. Um, my very first recollection of, of Sam was when I was a seventeen-year-old a freshman, brought over to uh, you know be on the scout team, which also goes by another name, which I won't use here. And the idea is that you get the scout kicked out of you uh and as you represent the the opposing team in this case it was uh just a, you know you know, give us a good look was always the phrase right which meant oh boy you were re- anyway the first play that uh, they called was 23 blasts and, and i was the 23 and uh, as a line inside strong side linebacker uh at that time and uh, i guess the first guy to hit me oh sam cunningham and and it was uh, I can recall to this very day. I wasn't given any ground either. Look, this this is this is competitive football. I don't care who it is. And the, and the tailback was uh, Rod McNeil. And then you know rotate the new tail the other tailback in. And that's Anthony Davis with you know Sam Cunningham at, at fullback. I mean it was hilarious. And I, I'm fortunately I was so young I didn't know what the heck I was looking at or dealing with with these guys. They were so talented, so good.
0: But the thing about Sam was
3: that he was also a gracious leader. And he led by strength of of his work ethic, strength of of his example. Uh, And we also even then knew that there was a specialness about him um, that uh, was extraordinary. And uh, it's not often that you connect the term gracious with an absolute you know, steamroller on the field, ask, you know, you can't. But as a metaphor, ask Woody Hayes about, you know, uh, fourth and goal or third and goal or first and goal from two, three, four yards out. It didn't matter. Sam was going in the end zone. Sorry, buddy. That's the way it's going to be. And um, the story about McKay looking over at, at Woody and saying, he's going over and he's scoring. It's true. Cause I was standing next to McKay when he did it. He didn't say anything. He just pointed he, and he did, he pointed. I saw it with my, my very own eyeballs. Sam was a lovely man, a lovely leader, very gracious, incredible athlete. And since I lived in Boston for eight years, I also know that he is well uh, regarded and beloved uh, up in New England, as is Mosi Tutupu too, by the way, former tr- Trojans uh, of fame. So um, that said, I'll just tell you that the legacy Sam leaves behind is extraordinary, memorable, and I am a better person for having known him.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. Now, Scotty, your dad was a legendary writer, uh, Lowell Schrader, the Long Beach Uh, Press-Telegram. I think he was covering the team or certainly a columnist if he wasn't covering the team. You grew up in that atmosphere of USC football, and your dad had a great relationship with John McKay. And certainly, you knew of the name Sam Cunningham. What What were your experiences uh, uh, during that time, and seeing him as an adult and being a reporter? Talk to me.
2: You know, when he when he played, you know, I wasn't really even watching USC football, so I I, I wasn't really aware of who Sam Cunningham was when I when I was younger, but he was definitely a man and a football player that, that my, my father talked about often and in very, very endearing terms. Um, and, you know, just in, in watching past games, the game with Alabama, knowing the story behind it and just knowing what, what Sam meant, not only to the University of Southern California, but, you know, as the years went on, when I became more familiar with Sam, knowing what he meant to the community and to the Trojan family, you know, that's, okay. I'm, I really don't have much more to offer th- than just that. I just know when Sam showed up at practice at USC practices or was on campus, you know, it, it was obviously he, he, he supported that team through thick and thin. Um, and when he showed up to practices, people couldn't wait to go over and say hello to him. And, you know, that, those are my memories of Sam Cunningham, you know, obviously what he did on the football field, was just inspiring to watch, um, and and Kevin when he was talking about how you know it was when USC needed that touchdown from from third fourth whatever it's short, uh, you know Sam was gonna make he was gonna score or he was gonna get the first down, and but Sam as a person as he as he got older and and so on, it was just really cool to see him at practices. You know he was just one of those guys to when you saw him walk through Goose Gate and there was Sam Cunningham, you it just brought a good mood to you i mean i know you know what i'm talking about greg he was just one of those sure. guys you were sure. happy to, even if you didn't know him
1: well i'll tell you this is interesting because now we're going to go to eric and eric um is a graduate of usc okay he's been a follower uh i wish i was his age but i'm not <laughs> but i want i want his perspective on what he thinks the sand of Sam coming in the the legend uh you're seeing him. What do you think? What what, what comes to your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he's a, a sort of USC legend where you get the sense that, that people who saw him just can't wait to tell you stories about him. And, and that, I think, means so much, you, you know, you kind of hearing what what Kevin says about him and, and what guys, you know, during that era, uh, talk about you just never hear a bad story and, and people are so excited to to tell you about kind of their experiences with him. I, I'm glad Kevin mentioned uh, the McKay signaling over the top across the field to to Woody Hayes, because that's one of my favorite USC stories for, about it, about any player uh, that he's going over the top for his fourth touchdown uh, against Ohio State there. Um, the, the one thing I think that stands out to me, and this is just speaking to his physical ability on the field, is uh, Greg, in the past for we are SC, we've done kind of, uh, you know, all-time Trojan drafts where we pick our, you know, top guys at, at different <laughs> spots and, yeah. and we've kind of rotated through and tried to draft our best teams. And it, it was always, yeah. we had to get a fullback spot and it, and it was a race for him. And, and I think it oh, means okay. something where at a school like USC, any position, where there was one guy so clearly the guy at that spot. I, I don't know how many spots there are for USC throughout, throughout its history where, you know, you can say, well, he, he's clearly the best, you know, at, at this spot. And so for him at fullback to, to constantly be mentioned, you know, yes, USC tailback you, but they got some okay. help from, from some other yeah. guys and, and he's right there at the top of the list. Um, uh, again, when you're talking about as when, when you hear people talking about as a person as a player, there's there's just never anything said about him that that's negative. I mean it, it is all positive and, and beyond positive that there's just so much love and, and respect for him um, across all generations of the Trojan family.
1: Well, I guess because I am the oldest of this uh, quartet, uh, nothing to brag about, I might add, but I saw Sam Cunningham, uh, when I was a uh, senior in high school, he was playing for Santa Barbara. Uh, he was uh, as great as he was. Uh, the attention on that Santa Barbara team was the, uh, the defensive line. They had a guy named Bob, big man pointer, who was about 6'1", about 470 pounds. and another tackle next to him named Danny Herring, who went about 345. And all the attention was there. But Sam was also a linebacker but he also played, uh, in the backfield. Uh, Sam went on to the, I believe was, I saw him in the shrine game. And then I saw him when he came into USC and McKay didn't know what the hell to do with him. Uh, you know, he, he was, a obviously a uh, superior running back. He had a different style of the way he ran compared to, uh, Clarence Davis or uh, OJ Simpson or Mike Garrett. And, uh, he just decided I'll, you know, I'm going to move him to fullback because we got some great tailbacks. And I I think one of the great memories for me too, actually, and I'll make them short. I was sitting in the end zone when he went over the top a couple of times uh, late in the game. It was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, I was there when he did that last one and it was just like, someone was shot out of a circus cannon out of Ringling brothers. Uh, It was like, how does someone sacrifice their body like that? And I have to tell you, Ohio state knew it was going to him, right. and they all stuffed, you know, the a gap or wherever they were going. Yep. And he just, I don't know what he did. Yeah. I mean, as soon as he got to the apex of it, he was like a spinning top and came down and you know what, he was so excited and everybody's so excited. Uh, and Kevin knows this cause you're on the team. Uh, I don't think I think even though Ohio State fans are like, this is incredible for a guy to only score touchdowns from what, three yards out, two yards out. It's the way he did it, which was uh, absolutely unbelievable. Now, speed forward to the last year or so when I had a chance to really talk to him. It was like I was talking to a real legend and I've been around guys like Muhammad Ali and things of people that are really like, you know, larger than life. But for me, he was larger than life. He was Sam Bam Cunningham. And I remember I got a, I went to the Juju Smith uh, fund foundation uh, fundraiser at the Biltmore in LA. And I uh, got a, a helmet and I, I have an autograph of Sam on it that I will cherish uh, because this was, this is the type of guy and Kevin will agree with me on this. You know, if you want to show this U.S. football team, what a USC legendary fullback on a national championship team looks like. You parade him in there, show the kids some video of that and say, that is what makes a national champion. Uh, sacrificing his body, total team player. Just a just a beautiful man. He's going to be missed, but you know what's not going to be missed? His legend is going to be alive uh, forever and a day. So uh, we will all miss him, but boy, was he unbelievably uh, good, both on and off the field. All right, let's move back into the game, third quarter. And I'm glad we have Scott. I w- I do want to tell our uh, viewers and those of you that are listening on the podcast that we are a truly a national uh, 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 telecast broadcast today. We've got uh, Kevin in Dallas. Uh, we got Scott from Washington. He's in Washington D.C. Of course, Eric is holding down the fort in the downtown area of L.A. And I'm out here in. Uh, uh, Orange County, deep within that area, that everyone goes. Modern day, modern day. So we've got we've got you covered there. But we're going to start off with Scott in the third quarter question. Scott, you saw what has happened over this last uh, weekend here. Uh, how is it? And since you're everywhere, I can't even imagine where you're not uh, recruiting wise. What take are you getting from what's happening at SC, especially after the victory on Saturday? What are recruits saying? Well, I think it, it,
2: some of the you know reaction happened before Saturday, as you can imagine. You know, there were actually I got some text messages from 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 coaches and parents that you know kids that were committed to other schools are are now considering USC just by the addition of, of Dante as the interim head coach, there was, you know, there were so much questions about the football program, but um, what has happened since, since Saturday is that, first of all, every recruit that could possibly be was tuned in. Uh, you know, you normally ask a kid, if they're going to be watching the football game, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know, you know, this and that. I mean, it was at a favorable time obviously for people to be able to watch it on Saturday, but kids were tuned in. And kids were extremely excited for Dante. You know, this is, this is the personal relationship that Dante has with, with recruits is, is very, very unique. Um, and although he was limited to mostly his position guys and, and, and a few other players in other positions, um, you know, his, his reach now, he, he was hired and now Dante he, he's contacting every recruit. You know, and it, and it happened the day he got hired. And it happened every day after that to where the guys that I was talking to, especially when I started in in Columbus, Georgia, to see five-star commit Mike L. Williams. And then I went over to see Elijah Pritchett play a game Friday night in Columbus, Georgia. Um, You know, Dante had been communicating with these guys every day. And I think that was something that was, was not present previously. Clay would contact kids here and there, but he never really developed a relationship with them. And I think in 2021 in, in order to recruit and maximize your recruiting efforts, you have coaches like Mario Cristobal, Ryan Day, Lincoln Riley, Steve Sarkeesian. I'm not so sure, so sure about Nick Saban, but Nick can do whatever the heck he wants at this point. But you have Dan Mullen at Florida, so you have the uh, and so you have these coaches that have these personal relationships with kids. And I, I so I, I don't think that the impact of Saturday was was as great, you know, in in the great scheme of think kids are. USC is changing for the better because of Dante and they won this football game on Saturday. I think it's just, it's Dante is now in charge. And Dante is running the show and kids have confidence in Dante. And he also embodies strength. You know, that was something that was missing at USC also was the football coach, Clay Helton, you know, as, as nice of a man as he was and as well respected and admired by the players and the parents and the recruits parents, there wasn't really a strong presence with the head football coach at USC. So, I think right now the impact is, is is Dante Williams is now the football coach, and he's recruiting everybody that USC is pursuing. So there were guys that USC really didn't have a shot with previous to a week ago that they do now. But the challenge for him now is to go out and win football games because you know Dante's not going to be the head coach. Nothing that really happens right now is going to matter a whole lot in the end.
1: Kevin, I know that uh, you came through an era of which you were recruited. If you were a player of today and what you witnessed on Saturday, would that have changed anything for you based on the firing of Helton, Dante Williams, miraculous comeback? As a recruit, looking from a recruit's eyes, which you were at one time, what what do you think is going through the minds of these uh, these recruits?
3: Yeah, you know, I think uh, Monday uh, probably was more impactful to recruits than Saturday right? And I think that's to Scott's point. Um, That said, I think uh, capping off a a tumultuous week with a um, come from behind steamroll of Washington State in a pretty sexy way, if you will, was uh, certainly doesn't hurt the recruiting efforts. Um, you know me, I I, I just uh, – I know recruiting in the pipeline is incredibly important. I don't spend a lot of time on it because Scott does. Um, I just figured, look, get some good players in here, and oh, my gosh, please build the program up from the inside out. We need some people on the line of scrimmage, both sides, uh, in depth that can uh, get the job done. And if some of those uh, uh, young men uh, are more uh, – you know inclined to consider usc now uh, and their uh and they're big lads okay i'm all in all right so for the sake of time i'll leave it there for now eric
1: you were one time was espn's west coast authority on recruiting let's tap into your expertise what do you what do you think uh was the effect of this weekend
0: yeah, I, you know, I, I'm going to look at big picture. The, the, there's still a roller coaster left here. I, you know, we, we've kind of hit on could Dante Williams be, you know, the the head coach at the end. I think at this point, chances are more likely that it's somebody else. Uh, then you've got to sort of deal with does Dante stay on staff? I, I know that, you know, that would that would be the preference for everybody uh, on the roster and and every recruit for sure. But, you know, you, if you get emotional commitments from guys now, what happens when, you know, the USC coach does come in? So, so I don't think anything that happens now is, oh, for sure this kid is signing, for sure he's coming in, all that. I, I think there's still a lot, a lot left to be determined. That being said you can't deny the the emotional bump. I mean, they get a commitment from a, a local corner uh, on Saturday. You know, the, he announces right after the game ends. Uh, and, and so that sort of push USC absolutely needed, and, and I think they got it. What happens from here on out, like Scott said, yeah, you keep winning games. You're going to keep getting guys involved. The longer you can keep the attention, I think the easier it is going to be to ride whatever wave happens when the coaching decision is is ultimately made. But, um, and, and, you know, not to speak for for Scott here, but I'm sure he's in agreement where USC is set up better now than they would have been at at the beginning of the year, even though there is still some uncertainty who the next coach is going to be. I think the way Dante Williams is going to shape this program to the end of the year it's going to give recruits more confidence in what they're getting and, and the direction and all of that, where I think, they'll again, if USC does well toward the end of the season, more recruits, more recruits will be sort of ready to jump in at, at that point. So, uh, yeah, I, I think kind of all all positive and, and you're starting to, to see a little bit of that bump now with, with Dante taking control of the program.
1: I think uh, you hit the nail on the head, uh, Eric, using the word wave. I think it's a wave of enthusiasm. I think uh, people aren't distracted now with uh, Clay Helton, what's going to happen. I think everybody's going to start pulling from the same rope, and that includes uh, recruiting. I think one of the uh, things that I I think that is kind of, uh, I I don't think Scott would uh, say that he's he's, uh, behind the curtain, so to speak, but. He knows the effect of Dante Williams in the Southern California uh, community of high school coaches and their respect for him. And it all can, you know, every little word counts. Uh, I don't think that you uh, the high school coaches in general want to see SC fail unless they played at UCLA or something. And I'm not so sure that they even feel that way to be quite honest with you because SC's had a, a, a long list of players that played for UCLA coaches Uh, They were happy. They're just happy to see their player go where they could be on a big winning team. Uh, Let's face it. USC is still USC. Uh, It just needs the right driver. It needs to be in the right race. I think it is now. I think it's fascinating. Uh, Again, I agree with all of you. It's about winning, keeping that wave rolling Uh, and to keep in mind this. Because of the NCAA, when a school changes coaches, players can go now on a second official recruiting visit. That could be a big thing down the line to keep players or to add some new ones. So it's something that we're going to keep on uh, uh, looking at week to week to make sure that we are keep our viewers and listeners up to date on it. So we head into the uh, fourth quarter. Uh, We do have a game to play, specifically Oregon State. I'll uh, get your thoughts on the Beavers Beavers are uh, two and one. Typically uh, uh, they have a, a great coach. I think the record may not indicate in Smith uh, <coughs> play for Dennis Erickson, uh, the hall of fame coach. Uh, I think he's got it going. And I think that um, Oregon state's going to give USC a battle. I just really feel it. Uh, they have a good quarterback in uh Chance Nolan, they've got a good running back in uh, B.J. Baylor. Uh, and they have a good linebacker in Avery Roberts. So I think for me, and then I'll hand it off to you guys, I'm really curious to see what the attendance is. I know it's a 7.30 game, which probably cuts into it. Uh, but I want to see what the vocal response of the, of the crowd is. I think that this is going to be the game where everybody's on the same page. You know, you're not going to get people that – SESC win, but then they go well. If we win, then maybe Helton will still be here, and they're caught between it. Uh, so let, let's go around uh, the, the the horn here, Kevin. Your
3: thoughts on Oregon State? Yeah, they're going to show up, and they're going to play uh, tough football. Um, they haven't really played really much of a tough schedule so far. Purdue physically, you know, have put some you know uh, big folks out there, but um, uh, Hawaii and Idaho aren't exactly the strike fear in anybody's heart, um, so uh, they're going to come in. I don't think they have any injury issues that I could see or read anywhere. Uh, they do have some talent. Um, their defense is, is okay. They have uh, they're in the box. Uh, they're they're not bad. Um, cornerbacks I think can be exploited, uh, and the deep secondary, the safeties. Uh, good on run support, maybe less so on, uh, on post routes. Um, and that's, by the way, where both uh, Drake London, assuming he's healthy, but importantly, uh, Gary Bryant, with his speed, there's a guy with two knee injuries and reconstruction, and he's still faster than most anybody on the field. That's incredible, I have to tell you. Uh, and what he does out there is uh, just runs past people. And he's got a nice glide stride, if you will, nice alliteration there. And uh, you know, and then he's past you, and you're not going to catch him. So that said, that gives you know somebody at quarterback the opportunity to hit some uh, receivers and put some points up. Oregon State is not going to take um, take the game lightly. They're going to show up. They're going to play, uh, you know, their their very best. And it's going to take USC. Um, being committed to physically winning the line of scrimmage battle. And it almost always boils down to that. But in this case, this is really true because that's one of the factors that changed against Washington State is that the, at least on the defensive side of the ball, uh, the defense started to win the line of scrimmage battle. And uh, the offensive line never did, really, honestly. But in this case, we need to start out that way. We'll see how the practices go this week and uh, get people going. Um, Oregon State should not, uh, ultimately, at the end of the game, uh, USC should win that game. But um, Oregon State is—they're uh, going to give it their best, and they're not going to be—they're not going to be intimidated by the surroundings or the team.
1: Scott, you probably know a lot about the players on Oregon State's team in terms of you. Know of their, their recruiting. Uh, what's your take on Oregon State?
2: Well, you know, I I I do know some of the players. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the players aren't going to be that I know aren't going to really be playing, but uh, or haven't played a whole lot yet. But and not seeing them play, I'm certainly not going to be able to to talk about Oregon State in, in detail like like Kevin did because I have not seen them play this year, and nor did I see them play last year. Um, but what I did do is knowing that they played Purdue and lost. Um, and knowing that Jack Plummer is a quarterback, I was very, 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 very high on and USC actually recruited him. Um, they were hoping that was a quarterback. They hoped to sign late in the recruiting process a few years back. I went to just go check to see how he did I, He had 300 plus yards passing and, and there was some pretty good there by, by Purdue. Um, so my thinking is, is that if, if USC has this, the same, type of passing game that they had versus Washington state. Now, I, I can't, I don't know what the secondary is ultimately going to be like. I know Alex Austin from long beach poly is one of the top players for Oregon state, but I, you know, if, if you're looking at it, the line of scrimmage has to be one, obviously it'd be in a perfect world. USC would get the running game going and, and and let the quarterback maybe have a little bit more time to throw the ball and maybe not get hit as often, but you know, it's just, just on the surface, my first reaction was, is that USC is probably going to throw for 400 plus yards against this team. And if they are able to do that, you know, it really shouldn't even be
0: close.
1: All right, Eric, is it going to be close?
0: Uh, no, I, I think, I think Dante found the buttons to push for for this team. And I think USC needed that sort of breather uh, th- this, you know, last weekend and, and that, you know, the, the bus ride to the airport and the flight home and all that, and, and just putting that week to bed. Uh, I think they come out strong at home and, and do well. Oregon State, I feel like at this point, is sort of what Stanford used to be a Stanford light to where they're going to come out, they're, they're going to be buttoned up, they're going to be sure, they're going to try to run the ball, they're going to try to stop the run, they're going to do all the things where they can beat you if you're not, if, if you're making mistakes, if you're not buttoned up, if, if you're not playing your game they can just sort of wear you down and, and they'll keep running and they'll keep trying to, to take over the line of scrimmage. So I think it's a good test for USC in terms of, can you, can you keep your head screwed on after that Washington state win? Can you come out and, and do what you need to do? But USC, you know, they should out athlete them and and outscore them and, and all of that. But I, I do think it is a good test of, can you carry that Washington state momentum over do it at home and and do what we, you know, what USC fans got used to years and years ago, where you just put a team like this away, you run away from them, you let the backups get in to to finish the game off and, and do that. I think that, I think we'll be able to tell maybe, you know, the trajectory of this USC team based on whether or not they can do that against Oregon state.
1: All right. I will make this little note for all of you. The last time Oregon State beat USC in Los Angeles was 1960. And Dwight David Eisenhower was the president of the United States of America. A little something to consider. All right. We're in overtime. And that means we're going to do our predictions. Uh, gentlemen, make sure that you tell us who you like. Uh, no, no long dissertation is needed. If you want to give a point score, I'll give a little lead into each game. Uh, It's going to be shorter because we only have uh, Pac-12 games going on. So the traditional 12 games has been cut to six. So uh, let me start off by saying uh, on Saturday, this Saturday, Washington State will be at Utah 1130 a.m. All these times, by the way, are are Pacific times. Uh, It'll be on Pac-12 network. Utah is favored by 14 points. You agree with that, Kevin?
3: Uh, Yeah, I do. I have the score 38-9 Utah. Scott,
2: are we, are we predicting a score or can I just predict the, the, the winner?
1: Whatever you're comfortable with. This is your first time on, you know, here on the Thank show. You. So do what you feel comfortable with. That's, that's pretty binary. I mean, come on. <laughs> spoken I'm, like a true, I'm, like I'm, a, that was I'm, spoken I'm, like a true linebacker, Scott, just take it for uh, consider the I'm source.
2: Middle. No, I, you know, I, 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 you seriously though, I, you know, I, those two games I I'm taking Utah and I think a similar score to what Kevin said. If, if I had to predict a score, I, I, I would see it about the, along those
0: lines.
1: All right. The editor in chief.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll take Utah. I, I think Utah has been one of the surprises in how poor they've played poorly uh-huh. they've played this okay. year and how I, yeah. I, you know, I, not weak, but certainly not strong along both of those lines, offensive line and, and defensive line. But I, I think they, they've got enough for, you, for Washington State.
1: I'm picking the uh, the boys from Utah. I thought they looked horrible. I watched them against San Diego State. San Diego State is a good team. They really are. Uh, but this Utah team is not together. But I will say this. If uh, Jaden Delora does not play against Utah, uh, it's going to be ugly. Uh, not necessarily that it's going to be 50 to nothing, but it's not going to be good. So, all right, UCLA at Stanford, 3 p.m., Pac-12 network. UCLA is plus three and a half. Uh, Eric, we'll go in reverse order. What do you think?
0: Boy, I, you know, I think Stanford. I, I think that could be an interesting one and a close one. But uh, that that's one of those kind of home team picks for me.
1: All right. Scotty?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm taking, I'm taking
2: Stanford because they are at home and, you know, we've seen how UCLA has done in the last few years when they go on the road at times. I think Stanford might be a lot better than we thought they were. I don't know what happened week one. I don't know. Was, was Tyler McKee, not the quarterback, but you know, I'll, I, I'm going to go ahead and go with Stanford on that one.
3: Kevin. Yeah. I got Stanford uh, 38, 28, 31, 28, excuse me.
1: I'm going with the Cardinal. Uh, 31-24. I think UCLA was really exposed when I watched them against Fresno State. Uh, People are jumping off the bandwagon in Westwood. Let's put it that way. All right. uh, Cal at Washington, 6.30 PM, Pac-12 Network, Washington plus seven and a half. Scott, what do you think?
2: I'm going to, I'm going to take Cal. I, 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 I might've overrated Cal heading into this football season a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and take Cal in that one in a really, really close one. And I'll say 30, 30, 31 to 28.
1: Okay. Sounds reasonable. Uh, Eric.
0: Yeah, I'll take Cal too. I, I don't think we learned a lot about Washington state or Washington against uh, Arkansas state. So Cal, you know, Cal, how they always win three to two or seven to six or something like that. <laughs>
3: Kevin, you you buy into that? Uh, I got Washington on this one because they're playing in at uh, the dog pound, so uh, I've got uh, twenty one seventeen Washington.
1: All right, I'm I'm against my better j- judgment. I'm going to pick Cal because I think that Washington's offense leaves a lot to be desired, and as much as I have great respect for Husky Stadium, uh, that that travesty of, of a victory that they had on Arkansas State didn't impress me at all. So I'm going with the golden bears, 24, 21. All right. Oh, so
3: that was better than Oregon's uh, beat down of Stony Brook. Okay, Let's not start in with that.
1: <laughs> what is that flag football for crying out loud? Well, just don't guard your flags when you're running. Otherwise you get a penalty. Uh, here's one. That's really kind of sad. Actually. I had to preface it with that, but Arizona, at Oregon, seven thirty p.m. ESPN. Oregon is only twenty-eight points ahead. So, uh, Kevin, since you had to insert yeah. your linebacker mentality, uh, we're going to let you lead this off and say, "What? What do you see?"
3: Yeah, I got Oregon forty-eight to seven, just because.
1: Because you're being a nice guy.
3: <laughs> yeah, I am actually because I, I think Arizona and Stony Brook would have a really good, really tough game.
1: Jeez. oh my goodness uh okay uh scott yeah I'll,
2: i'm obviously gonna go with oregon I'll, I'll say oregon scores 50 we'll give we'll give uh we'll get let arizona have their 10 points probably
1: late in the game well done and i'll tell you why in a second uh eric
0: yeah, or- Oregon names the score. There was so much kind of enthusiasm from Arizona players when we got to talk to them at Pac-12 Media Day, and the thought was always like, wait till they start playing the games, and, and <laughs> they're playing the games, and, and we're seeing kind of what Arizona was left with when Jetfish Fish took over there. It feels like uh, quite, a, quite a rebuild at Arizona right now.
1: Well, I, I don't even think the game should be played, to be honest with you. I think it's an insult to football. Boy, when when Arizona lost to Northern Arizona, I I can't imagine what it must have been like to be in that Arizona locker room. Uh, I I actually think that uh, Arizona should apply for the Big Sky Conference, and I'm not sure they could come as high as third. Sorry about the editorial comments. Uh, I I think it'll be 55 to 10, Scott. I kind of agree with you. It could be worse. Uh, I mean, is it possible that Stony Brook is better than Arizona? I guess that's possible. That's kind of a scary thought. All right, let's go to uh, Colorado at ASU, 7.30 p.m. ESPN2 uh, or ESPNU. Uh, ASU is 14 and a half point favorites. Uh, Eric, what do you say?
0: Yeah, a- Arizona State, uh, I think by, you know, by 10, 14. I mean, the, the Pac-12 South just took it on the chin this, this last weekend. I mean, <laughs> I think there's a, a lot of different looks at – you know, what kind of team is Arizona State? What kind of team is Colorado, UCLA, all, all of it? It, it was a, a big step back. So, so this will be an interesting one to see if one of these two teams can kind of figure it out after this past weekend.
1: All right. Next contestant. Anyone? Anybody want to volunteer on this game?
2: I'm, I, I'm taking – I'll go with ASU seven points,
1: 28-21. All right.
3: Kevin? I got uh, ASU uh, 2717.
1: All right, I'm going to go with uh, ASU 3117, which brings us to the biggest game of the nation, no doubt about it. Oregon State at USC 7:30 p.m. FS1. SC is uh, favored by 13. All right, Kevin, what 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 say you?
3: Yeah, of course I've got the Trojans and I've got a 38-21.
1: Okay. Scott?
2: I got USC
0: 36-21. Eric? Yeah, this is the only one that I, that I wrote a score down for, and I, I'm right there, 38-13, USC.
1: Wow. That's a good one.
0: We're a bunch of homers.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to go with the Trojans, of course. Um, I'm trying to say if uh, SC played their best, and Oregon State played their best. I think given the new, the new beginnings, I'm going to take USC 31, uh, Oregon State uh, 21, but it could be closer. So
3: yeah.
1: uh, that, that's kind of uh, our pick. So listen, I want to thank uh, our panel, our producer Jake Evans, and a reminder that USC does return home this weekend to host Oregon State. As we said, kickoff is at 7.30 p.m., game televised on FS1. Reminder, next Tuesday, we'll review the Oregon State game, check in on the coaching search, uh, and here's a topic that uh, will rub people the wrong way. Should the Trojans wear throwback uniforms at any point in time or change uniform colors, uh, we'll preview the away game at Colorado as well as selected topics relating to USC and college football. So until Tuesday, everybody, we thank you for watching or listening. Again, thank you to the panel. Uh, And uh, until we speak again next Tuesday, Fight on, everybody.